Hello and welcome to another episode of Inside the Changing Room. Today we're joined by a man who grew up in Scotland, played for Aberdeen during his youth days, made the move south to Fulham, um, also making some loan moves to Port Vale and, and Shrewsbury during that time, uh, played for Coventry. He's got a 100% win record at Wembley. That's, that's quite an achievement. Um, and of course, now he's plying his trade with Wickham Wanderers. Of course, that man is Jack Grimmer. I mean, Jack, how are you doing, pal? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, I'm doing okay. Um, just ticking off the games, as you can imagine. As you know, the schedule's just hectic at the minute, and um, but loving every minute of it. Even if our league position isn't what it should be, um, still enjoying the season after promotion last season, and uh, and yeah, just loving you know the amount of games we've got. Ticking them off is, is enjoyable. And of course, as ever, I'm joined by James. James, I mean, it's a great guest we've got on for our twentieth podcast, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what a guest as well. I remember him, remember him in Coventry, and and now he's he's absolutely smashing it at Wickham. So, what a guest, what a guest. And um, I mean, we've obviously had Joe on and, and Gareth, and this this just completes the set for me. Yeah, let's let's take it from the very beginning, Jack. Of course, growing up in Scotland, playing for Aberdeen's Youth Academy. Um, yeah, what was the what was the young Jack Grimmer like? Uh, yeah, it was it was quite. Um, you know, I, I thought about it the other day actually. We were talking me and my fiance about sort of because we're both from Aberdeen, um, and you know, it was quite a weird one um, being a local lad like growing up. And it's I suppose it's what every local lad wants to do is play for their hometown country that they have a season ticket at and um, and grow up supporting. And, uh, and and I was very fortunate that I managed to get my debut. Um, but it was it was yeah it was great coming in and especially because I remember Neil Simpson who's a, a club legend at Aberdeen. Um, he's like the sort of one of the coaches and I remember walking in and I was about fifteen sixteen and you know being in his company alone was enough for me um, because I'd grown up sort of seeing these faces and seeing these names and all of a sudden they were coaching me at Aberdeen so it was only going to bring my game on quite a lot and. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough. I managed to get my debut and uh, against Rangers, which was, you know, such a moment for my family, myself, and friends and things. Having because we despise Rangers with all honesty, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a, uh, it was a game that I always remember growing up, twelves, thirteens, fourteens, fifteens, playing against Rangers was always a big occasion, no matter what age group you were playing. And uh, so to make my debut for the first team against Rangers was something that I relished. I think, yeah. Yeah, was it always the intention to be a fullback, or or growing up, you know, did you did you play a trade in some other positions as well? Yeah, I started off. I think I think a lot of people actually started off as as a striker and um, scoring goals as a kid, and uh, and sort of transitioned to sort of striker, right mid, uh, right back, and then sort of dabbled between right back and centre back. And um, I came on actually on my debut up front for Aberdeen, but then. I think by my third appearance was back at right back. So, you know, it, it is, it's it's one of those things, I think any kid, I would say, just try any position because you learn such different things um, from different positions. And when it comes to professional football, as long as you're playing, it doesn't matter where you're playing, as long as you've got the shirt, then that's, that's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you just alluded to it, to it there, Jack, about you coming on for your debut at Rangers, I mean, was there was there ever a talk beforehand between you and Mark McGee that that was the plan, or was it kind of just no, Jack, you're coming on? No, like it, it wasn't. I think he was kind of one of those old-fashioned managers that you know didn't 
really sort of, I, I think the game's gone such a long way from then. And managers now talk to players a lot more. They're very more, they're much more approachable in that sense. And I think because of my age, he just kind of, he brought, he'd brought me along for the ride a few times and I hadn't got quite, quite got on. And, um, I think it was a perfect sort of deflection. The team weren't playing well and we were losing 3-1 at Rangers. And I think the fact that he brought on Aberdeen's youngest player and, you know, it was um, it was such a great moment. And the, the newspapers, I always remember, sort of jumped on that. Then the performance and the result just kind of got swept away under the cover. <laughs> so for a manager, it's probably a great deflection from yeah. a result not going your way. Um, but yeah, no, he. I still remember like looking up at the bench and he like signaled me to come on and I was like oh I was like this is it this is it and I, I can't imagine I can't you know begin to describe what the feeling's like because your whole body's almost numb and uh, and that's why nowadays I love seeing um, young players getting their debuts and their first steps into men's football because it is such a special moment and people you know not often people make it and it's um, so it is it's such a special moment when you're either on the pitch or playing with someone that's making his debut. Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned about there being the youngest ever player. What what a proud accolade to have for, for such yeah, a big club. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It really was, especially being a local lad. Um, it was such a good thing. And it was always something that I, I hoped would never be beaten. And uh, <laughs> and I think last I think last season or two seasons ago, the yeah. another homegrown lad came through and I think beat it by a couple of weeks I think so but that's inevitably going to happen in football yeah. you know everyone's looking for the next the next youngest player and, and uh, but to even hold that record for a short time for your home club is something that I'm, I'm proud of Yeah obviously during your progression through the youth ranks at Aberdeen at the same time you were also progressing through the ranks at Scotland and obviously you've represented all the way up until 21s you're just waiting for that that call up for the senior side what's been your favourite memories so far representing your country? Yeah, I think um, the, the, the most thing I think I remember we played, we were when we were younger, we played in the Victory Shield, which I don't think is a thing anymore. Um, or if it is, I haven't kept up with it that much. And, uh, and we basically, it was Scotland, England, Ireland and Wales. And we, I remember we played and they were all, it was the first chance you got to play on TV. Right. And we played against England at Tyne Castle and by that age when we were allowed fans in those days were amazing um, we like a, a busload of people from my school came down and stuff and it was my first experience like having you know a lot of people that you knew at one of your games like I was only 15 16 at the time and and uh, and we, we unluckily lost 2-1 but I managed to nick a goal and um, and I just remember feeling like that's what men's football is like like that's what it's about like you know that experience and um, I was very fortunate I captain that captained them as well and um, you know like you said there the just getting that A squad um, getting that proper national call up is something that I'm chasing and I think there's players done it at 33 34 so I've still got hopefully time um, and yeah just one would be enough to just sort of round yeah. off that sort of to, to say you've gotten what at least one would be a special achievement. Yeah, did you get to go on many away trips to Scotland? And, you know, if so, what was your favourite? Yeah, we went to, yeah, we were quite lucky. We went to, um, like, we went to Belgium and we went, we were younger, we used to be like Jersey and things like around about. Um, and we went to France and we went to, Belgium was probably one of the best. Um, 
we played in the Euro qualifications and uh, we had a good side as well. We should have done so much better, so much better uh, at that age. But I think now you look at the Scotland ages now and they are, there is a progression there, um, which is good to see. I think not just how well they're doing, but the manner in which they're playing. Um, I think everyone nowadays is passing the ball a lot more and that's from a younger age. Um, and I think that's, that's something that is, you can, is there for all to see. And I, I hope that, you know, um, moving forward, because uh, it's only going to be better for the national team if the younger ages are doing better, you know. So it's, uh, yeah, so here's hoping they can kick on. Yeah, and then of course in January 2012, you had that interest from Fulham and you decided to make the move down south. Um, you know, at the time as a young player, you know, how, how easy or difficult of a decision was that? Yeah, it was, uh, I think at the time, you, uh, at the time I was 17, 18, like you said, and I think you don't, you don't sort of realise just how young you are. You think, oh yeah, I'm turning 18 soon, I'm an adult, I'm like ready for this. And you realise like you're a complete kid. Um, but it's only a few years after you realise that. And I think it was almost good that I didn't realise that because I don't think I realised how big a move it was and how big a decision it was at the time. You're just sort of your head's in the clouds, your Premier League team are coming in to sign you. And, um, you don't really take in what it means for like the rest of your life kind of thing, you know, which is an interesting thought. But I was, I was, I was quite blown away, actually, when I first met the scout from Fulham. Um, you know, we'd played for Aberdeen in a tournament um, when we were like under 13, 14 and we'd played against Fulham and he'd brought that up and said that from that was when they sort of high, uh, highlighted me and had watched me since and I'd seen the scout wow. at my games in Aberdeen and I had no idea who it was but he just sort of, you would always see him standing at a tree and uh, and it just goes to show you the, and it, for me that was the depth that they'd put into their recruitment and sort of watching me over time. It wasn't just, uh, I'd broke, cause I'd, cause I'd made my debut for Aberdeen two years previous. It wasn't like it was just a spur of the moment kind of thing. Um, and that for me was, was one of the major factors cause I'd had interest from Wolves and Stoke as well, but that seemed more just on the surface, whereas Fulham seemed to really have a more rounded picture, <clears throat> which I think any 17 year old kid wants to have, you want to feel that you're wanted and, uh, and yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I, I don't think I realised at the time how big a move it was, um, but it was, yeah, the, the years just fly by and, and, it, and it is. It's, I'm really grateful they gave me that chance and I think that really, truly in, like, kick-started my career and, and gave me that foot in the door into proper you know, professional football. Yeah, I mean, what was it, what was it like as, as a young man, not just obviously playing in completely different surroundings, <clears throat> But of course, so you know, off the pitch, you're you're living in a completely different part of the world. Was obviously in London. Um, yeah, what was that like? Simply just adapting off the pitch. Yeah, I think uh, I think that was probably one of the things my family were most most worried about was moving from Aberdeen to London, having just turned eighteen years old. And uh, but no, it was it was such a, it was just a sort of whirlwind experience as you can imagine. They just the years the sort of months and the years just seemed to fly by. Um, and like Fulham were great. Fulham were really good. They had us like almost, they, they put a, a cluster of us to cooking classes and they put us to like butler classes and interview classes and, you know, taught us how to like iron cook, do interviews with sports outlets. And they sort of realised that they were taking people's kids and 
or almost kids, like 18, 17, 16, 17, 18 year olds, and like putting them in an environment that they weren't going to be used to, and but they were still going to have to have the tools for life for growing up. And I think one of the things that always sticks out for me is they wanted sort of well-rounded people as well as the talent that on the pitch. And um, you know, I have to for the way I've turned out in life, a lot of that is for the people I met at Fulham um, because you know such an important 18 to 21. That's the the years that you're rounded as an adult almost and um, but I, and I made great friends at the club and it is, it, it's it's a club that I still hold in high regard and um, I've still got friends there as well and it's nice to, it's just nice to see them doing well because you know that these people have been at the club for such a long time so to see them doing well, is, there's such a lot of work going into that and uh, and yeah, I was hoping to play against them this season but then they went and got them promoted to the Premier League so, <laughs> so that didn't happen but in the future I'll get to play against them. <laughs> Yeah, obviously, Jack, while you were through the Fulham set-up, you made a loan move to Port Vale. What was your reasoning behind that? Yeah, it was It was kind of, I'd, I'd moved down um, and I hadn't really had sort of a, a run of games that, uh, the 23s games were good up until a certain point, but everyone knows, I think, you need to get your foot in the door of proper um, professional men's, in the men's game. And um it had always been on my mind that I, w- I wanted to go before, but then the club were kind of hesitant because essentially I thought I think it was more about they had invested into youth, therefore they wanted the best youth. And so they weren't really, they were quite reluctant at times to let you go out on loan. And, um, but luckily I managed to get out and it was, it was just, I loved it. I loved it. I loved the sort of, you had to win on a Saturday. I mean, 23 games were good, but if you didn't win, you know, someone's mortgage was still getting paid. Whereas you go into the men's game and players are desperate to win. And that, for me, that's why I play. You know, you want to win games of football. And um, I think that's why I found this season so tough because, you know, no one likes losing. And um, yeah. it's, so for that, it was the first sort of, and it was the first sort of, I'd had a proper old school manager, Mickey Adams, um, who was always, he was notorious for being very harsh on his players, but he sort of, he handled me really well, given my age and given my experience. You know, he actually was one to put his arm around me, which I think was weird for him in a sense of the way he normally managed players, but it worked for me perfectly. And I was gutted that my loan got cut short and Fulham recalled me because I was really, I was enjoying my football. I was playing games. Um, and I think we finished eighth, seventh or eighth in League One that season. So we were doing well. Um winning games of football and sort of getting my name out there as well, which was raising my profile and stuff. But again, it's a club that, you know, I've, I've only played against them a handful of times since, but it's, you know, a club that I want to see doing well. And, um, and yeah, it, it, and it gave me that sort of my first step into proper consistent trying to churn out games every single day, every week, sorry. And, and uh, it's a, a lesson that I learned quite quickly, which was good. Yeah, obviously it's interesting that, they appointed a new manager today, didn't they? They they went and appointed Daryl Clark um, roughly about two hours ago. Put well. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, is that the old Bristol Rovers? Yeah, yeah. They've yeah, they've yeah. just got yeah. they've, they've just got an agreed compensation with Walsall to, to to go and get him. So I think that's that's, yeah. that's quite a good appointment. I think it was I think it was unfortunate, like say for them about the things like the pandemic and stuff. They had to make the decision that it wasn't financially suitable to keep playing, so they were the one of the teams that lost out because they were so close. I think, and their yeah. their owner basically had to make the decision, and 
it's teams like that that you know they don't have millions to throw around that you just hope that because you don't know their financial because you just hope all these teams that hold such big places in the community are going to be okay and and like you say they're clearly showing ambition if they're um going and getting another manager that that is doing well and uh and you hope that yeah they can get back up to where they feel they belong and uh, and kick on from there you say jack about mickey adams got the got the best out of you because of his man management Obviously, you've got a manager at the moment, Gareth Ainsworth, who, in my opinion, is one of, if not the best in the EFL in terms of his man management skills. How, how important to you as a footballer is a manager with not only his tactical skills, but his man management of players? Yeah, it's huge. I think, um, you know, people, you, you hear coaches and managers and things speaking after games in their you know, there's a almost a coldness to them half the time. And and I think that's why fans can't relate to managers sometimes because there is that coldness. And if fans can't relate, then the players aren't gonna relate to them either. And I think, like you said there, it's some of the some of the you I find sometimes I, I big up his man management and then you don't want to get away from the tactical side because sometimes Last season, especially, we had game plans that just worked perfectly and everyone went out and did their job. But I feel like he put us in a place that we were willing to do what he said um, and we trusted what he said was going to work. Um, and I think I've been very fortunate that he's picked me almost, he's picked me every time he's had the chance to. So I'm obviously going to, you know, love him that he, he's picking me. But I think just the, there's no just sort of smoke and mirrors. Like, you know, sometimes managers, they'll, tell you things that they don't really mean and he's just for me he's one of the most straight up people that um and he's always been just above board and and I think that's what makes his players go out and run through brick walls for him which in today's game is pretty rare because you know managers are always sort of coming under fire whereas I think the players would put themselves first before him at this club um which is quite rare so it's not it's it's I think that's Definitely one of the reasons that we achieved so much last season as well, because, you know, even I would admit that we weren't the best side in League One last season. Um, and But we had that extra side to us. And, uh, you know, things like in the playoffs, some of the team talks you gave were just uh, like, it, it's something I hadn't experienced before. And, uh, you know, when we were, you weren't sure if you were ready to cry or ready to run through a brick wall. Honestly, that's like how good they were. And, uh and I remember just thinking after that, I thought we got on the bus and I thought we have to win. Yeah. To, to, all, every three to the, the two semi-finals and the final, I thought we have to win. Like we, we just have to win. And um, and yeah, I think that's that's a credit to him as a manager. I think he's always willing to learn. Always, and he admits when he's wrong, which you know managers don't often do. I think yeah. we lost recently. We lost seven two um, to Brentford, and the first thing he says when he comes in is like, you know, boys, maybe I got it wrong. I have to look at myself and. And we were sitting there like, well, no matter how tactically you get it wrong, you can't, you shouldn't concede seven goals. Like, that's the player's be-all and end-all. But the fact that he's even willing to look at himself says a lot about him. And uh, and I think that's, yeah, that's definitely one of the main reasons that, that players want to play for him. I was going to say, of course, you know, Vale as well, taking it back. It wasn't as if you had a slow yeah. start. You know, you had praise from Mickey Adams. You were getting league team of the week awards, you know. I bet as a, as a young player, you know, you're getting that sort of first real taste of first team action. It was nice to sort of alleviate the pressure a bit. 
It was, yeah. It was um it was nice because I'd I'd had sort of the move from Aberdeen and had a lot of sort of press about the move and things and then I'd sort of dipped off the radar playing just twenty threes games and it was like you say, to hit the ground running, which I was always key keen to do. Um and yeah, I was just gutted it got cut short because I was loving every minute of it, playing all the games and um, you know, under a manager that, that clearly rated me and I was doing well for and, and uh, it was just a shame it got cut short. But it was, it was nice, like team of the week and, and things like that. It's always nice as a, a footballer to be appreciated in that sense, for sure. I mean, yeah, what, what was the biggest thing you learned from that time? Because, of course, like you said there, you were frustrated for it to end. Um, you know, how important was that as a first sort of stepping stone towards where you are now? Yeah, I think the the most the, the thing that it, it showed me early on is that winning matters. I mean, I grew up knowing that and it was sort of ingrained in me from a young age, um, you know, it, through my Aberdeen days. But I think it then gets painted over when you're playing 23s games and if someone, you know, doesn't track a runner in the last minute and you can see their goal and you're like, all right, OK, well, I'll look at my clips and I'll see what I could have done better during the game. Whereas in the Port Vale games, if someone doesn't track a runner and you concede, then you come in and you almost have a fight about it. And for me, that was the biggest thing is that these games just mattered so much. And it's the way it should be. I don't think you should, you can't win games unless it matters to you, you know, and um, unless you're Man City or something like that. But <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, it was just a, the biggest thing I think was that, that winning matters. And, and that's why I loved it so much just because, you know, everyone was just putting their all into getting three points every week. So it was good. Yeah, your next loan move come up Shrewsbury. How did how did that move come about? Yeah, it was just a sort of a thing again about going out and getting experience. Um, and Mickey Mellon was the manager there. And I think it, it sort of was a big draw being the Scottish connection and things like that. It was nice hearing the accent and stuff like that. And, and uh, they, they sort of had a good team down in League Two that were chasing promotion, it was good vibes, you know, they were winning and it was just a chance for me to go in and um, sort of play. And I, I didn't play all, as many games as I liked, but luckily that meant that I got recalled from Fulham and then, you know, I was back in the team there. But again, Mickey Mellon was a manager that I, I rate very highly in his man management skills. Um, he's now doing he's now doing quite a good job at Dundee United, which I love to see, he's, you know, getting the plaudits he deserves and, um, and yeah, he was another one that was sort of known as for being sort of hard, but almost put his arm around me again. And I think because of my age and my experience, because it's not always the case now that you're older, they, they shout at you and they want to shout at you, you know. <laughs> but I think they managed me with my, they managed my age and my experience quite well. Um, and that was, again, got the best out of me. And I just really enjoyed my football, really enjoyed my football. And um you know, a few players from that team have went on to do very, do very well and and had good careers, and it doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, you mentioned there, Jack. Obviously, being recalled by Fulham, um, and then you ended up making your debut days later after being recalled against against Brighton. Um, what was your recollection of of that time, uh, just as being recalled and straight back in the team? You must have gone. That must have been a bit of a whirlwind. It was, yeah, because I remember they, they kind of had mentioned, oh, we want to recall you. And I kind of remember my Port Vale one. And I was like, well, you know, I'm happy playing. If, if by all means, if I'm going to come back and play, then half the days, that's the best scenario. But I was kind of tentative. And uh, 
in a roundabout way, they managed to be like, well, no, you can come back because without saying it outright, you're going to play, you know, that was kind of the intention. And and I was, I made it at Brighton and it was, I was just buzzing. It was, it was buzzing slash a relief that I'd made my Fulham debut because I'd been there for, I think, two years, three years or whatever it was. And obviously you, you go to Fulham and, you know, it was on my mind like, oh, like, will I make my debut? I want to play for this club. I'd signed for them from Aberdeen. And uh, and we won. And I remember we were, I think we were 1-0 down. And um, and I just thought, just please come back and win this game. Like, it's my debut. I want to remember, have good memories of it. And uh, and I think Ross McCormack maybe, I think, um, nicked the winner. And it was just such a good feeling, like, because... I'd won my debut and, you know, and then from there on, it meant, well, hopefully I'll be in the team for the next game <laughs> because you don't want to lose your spot. So <laughs> it's, uh, but I, I think it was a period that I wasn't sure if, I think back now, and I, I always think at the time, like, were you ready for championship football for such a big club as Fulham at that age with that experience? And I think by no means did they see the best of me because I went out with nerves, like a nervousness energy sort yeah. of, you know, Fulham were expected to win every game in that league because they were a relegated club, they'd spent money. And it was hard, I felt, to play with that kind of pressure. Um, but, and that's why now I'm buzzing to be back in the Championship because I feel like you've went and done the hard yards to, you know, come back up and now you're ready to take your chance again. So it's, uh, but no, it was good. I've, I've got fond memories, like I said, of the club. It's, it, is a, it is a great club, Uh on the Thames, the idyllic London setup, and and it's one that I hope that you know stays in the Premier League this year and kicks on to go on to become you know a regular Premier League club again. Yeah, speaking of putting in the hard yards, you did join Shrewsbury again for a second loan in January 2016, and, and you were ever present for the team. Um, you know, firstly, were your sights always set on on returning to Shrewsbury? Yeah, I think it was quite a, an awkward one. I I'd, I'd sort of started the season, and um, Fulham had sort of said about you know, fighting it out for a position in the team. And um, in the first league game against Wickham, weirdly enough, uh, <laughs> broke my ankle. And um, so then that kind of then knocked that completely out of bounds. And and like you said, the loan to Shrewsbury came up just as I'd gotten back fit. And I think because I'd enjoyed my time so much the previous season and it was the same manager, it was in League One. And I thought, yeah, like this this will work. I'll, I'll play games. And uh, and yeah, like I said, I was lucky. I played every game and and loved it. Um, just loved play. Like you just love playing football. Like as a footballer, I think nobody wants to sit on the bench ever. So for me, just going there, churning out the games consistently was the most important thing. And um, and yeah, like playing again for Mickey Mellon was was something that I relished. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it sounded like you enjoyed your time at Shrewsbury. And of course, you actually helped them scave off relegation during your time. Uh, a 20th place finish, um, ever present, as I said. Was there a relief at the end of that season that you'd uh, got over the line and done the job? Yeah, yeah, massively. I think because I'd been a part of the... I'd sort of played a, a part in the season before where they'd been promoted. And, um, you know, you see what it takes to get a team promoted. It's not easy in, in any league. It's, you know, consistently you have to win and consistently you have to churn out results even when you're not playing well and and I think for to to be a part of the of the club falling back down again would have been painful um even being a lone player you know you don't want to have that on your cv and and um 
it is a club that like I, I've got fond memories of because of you know cup upsets and things like that and it's to again it, it, you weren't it's funny I, I remember when we got safe and you weren't buzzing you were just relieved it, you were just like like thank god like but you know and I think you would be buzzing if if we managed Wickham this season managed to do the great escape then you'll be buzzing you know because it, you've come back from the absolute abyss but I think we're there we always sort of flirted with relegation and um so it was more just a relieved feeling that you'd done your part to keep the league to keep the club sorry where it was meant to be yeah i mean you could stay after, after obviously uh saving them for relegation jack you couldn't stay away from the place because you went back again but <laughs> under this time uh, this time under a different manager in in paul hurst um firstly two questions in one basically um what was it about Shrewsbury that, that drew you back a third time? And and obviously Paul Hurst, what was what was Paul like? Yeah, it was um, just kind of because by the previous two seasons, I'd built up friends like within the club. Um, you know, I knew a lot of the staff. I knew the backroom staff and obviously I'd, I knew a lot of the players. Um, and it was just sort of a, it was quite an easy decision to, and it was to get games at a good level. And um you know, it was quite an easy decision. And maybe I, I do, you know, looking back now, it's easy to say hindsight's a great thing, but you maybe should have just went and tried a different challenge and tried something yeah. completely different at a different club and, and just been that breath of fresh air. And um, because I noticed that when I then went on sign at commentary, you know, playing for a different team, it gave you that sort of, oh, okay, right, the new challenge, let's go. Yeah. And um, but no, it was it was good. It was it was nice just to go back and again stayed stayed in the league. And and Paul Hurst came in and he was, um, he was a good manager. He made no secrets about he wanted to have his team the fittest in the league. He wanted to, and and that's why it didn't surprise me when they went. So the season after they reached the League One playoff final, and when I was at commentary, and, and it didn't surprise me at all because him and his assistant uh, Chris Doig who's a great guy as well, um, you know, a proper football guy. And uh, and they just got a good team together, working hard. And, you know, I think when you just simplify things, I mean, football is a simple game, but people complicate it. And he just seemed to simplify it to its, its best, work hard. And it's almost like our gaffer now, Gareth Ainsworth, you know, he is, it does the same thing. And I think players buzz off that just, all right, I know my job and I'm going to work my ass off for you and that's, and that's yeah. it. And uh, yeah. and so it, it didn't surprise me that he then went on to do great things and, and it's unfortunate he then went to Ipswich and it's a, it's that's football. You know, it's so yeah. topsy-turny all the time. And, and uh, But I'm sure now he'll, you know, hopefully have, have learned from that and he's at, he's at Grimsby now, I think. And, yeah, and hopefully from there on, he can kick on, yeah. Yeah, you just alluded to, to it there, Jack, that you did sign for Coventry in July 2017, after being released by Fulham, what was the selling point behind Coventry? Um, yeah, it was, I think I wasn't, it was a weird one because I wasn't really keen, you know, you want to play at the, the highest level you can. And um, so at first glance, you're obviously not keen to drop down to League Two, but, you know, I think it's there for all to see what size a club Coventry is. And um I'd watched them the previous year, actually, when I was at Shrewsbury. They were in the Checker Trade final against someone's beloved Oxford again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That was a game I was there um, for. 
that must have been that must have been quite painful as well. But yeah, it was. And I, I'd, well, I watched the game. Yeah, yeah, that that kind of been. A, I, I was there. And, oh, I just remember like like a photographic memory. The clock was running out. The ball had gone out of play, and no joke, the ball just lands on my lap, and the clock was ticking down with like thirty seconds to go. Boy, did I throw that ball back to Rob Hall on yeah. the as quick as I could. <laughs> Get it back in as as quick as you could. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it weren't meant to be that day. No. No, I don't like. I remember because I remember watching the game, and you know they'd sold sort of forty thousand tickets to that game, yeah. and I think for me that showed you the size of the club, and no matter what level it was at, it was you know destined. To, off the field stuff was completely separate. You know that happens in football, but on the field, you know, it was kind of destined to go on and do good things. And um, it was a summer out of contract, speaking with a few different teams. And and I don't know if people have mentioned, but being out of contract in the summer and, you know, speaking to clubs is is honestly one of the worst things that you can do because you just, you're not sure where you're going to be playing. You're meeting with clubs and you're seeing what fits and you're thinking about moving to that place, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, I think it's the less glamorous side of being a footballer because it's, you know, having to get something that works for your family and your fiance or, you know, you as a person. And it's, but I went and I spoke with Mark Robbins and, um, and he, he sort of outlined, it was funny, he outlined, outlined his vision for the club. Um, you know, obviously promotion that season was a necessity, no matter how they did it. And then he just talked about stabilizing and then wanting to go again. And that's exactly what he did. So I think for me, it was, a club that I just kind of felt at home at straight away. And it was, it was weird actually, because a club of that size, it's, you have to get used to the pressure of winning every game. I mean, I remember earlier in the season, we lost to Yeovil Town and the fans were trying to get in the the away changing room. They were like, the windows were open. They were like shouting stuff. And, and I remember our captain at the time, Michael Doyle, who's played, 600 games or something it is for Coventry he and he played for them when they were in the championship and things and he's you know been there at the highest the highest highs and he said this is this is the standard this is the club you're at this is you know the stand, the standards that we need to set and uh, and so it was quite an adjustment I think going from Shrewsbury um, to that sort of pressure and that sort of you need to win every game and you know you need to be up there etc etc and and it was it was a great season it was a it was a season of highs and lows. I think we would play well against the best teams and beat the best teams, and then we'd struggle to beat no no disrespect at all, but to the lower teams like your Morecambe's and your Barnets and your Forest Green was a team down there at the time. And um, and I think I, I don't I don't I'm not even sure if we beat any of them that season. And that that shows you, you know, whether it was we just completely underestimated them or not. It, it was we turned up against the good sides and not against the lower sides. And um, and but I think the way the season finishes, you know, you're caught up into the fairy tale of oh, it was an amazing season. But you know, looking back on the games, it, when you dissect it, it wasn't always like that. But I think that makes the way it ended, you know, all the more sweeter, given that it's you know a 50 game season, including cup games, leading up to that point. Um, and yeah, what an ending it was. <laughs> Yeah, well, speaking of big game, in, in January 2018, you know, you played Stoke in the FA Cup, a team that were Premier League at the time. And, you know, as we'll talk about more later on, you absolutely love a goal in a big game, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. It was, 
yeah, it was one of those moments, one of those games. I think I had, I had my family down um, because we it was around about my birthday, so it's like little things like that that they get to experience that game with you, and then you manage to score. And yeah, I'd I'd always remember I'd played. I remember going into the game thinking this this could happen because a team in the lower leagues that's in good form and winning games of football against a struggling team from any league that sort of levels out the balance and quality I find like you know because all of a sudden the league two players are hitting passes they don't normally hit because they're confident and they're used to winning games and then the Premier League players are struggling with the pressure and um, and I'd always thought like you've, you've played a few big teams but you've never won and I thought you have to beat a Premier League team in your career and you know it was it was such a good day it was uh and we deserved to win. That was the main thing. I think it wasn't really a thing about a snatch and grab. Like, it was 2-1. And we'd had chances to win it, you know. And, and after we went 2-1 up, it was quite... It wasn't sort of a backs-against-the-wall job. I mean, we did have to defend, but, it, you know, we felt quite comfortable, quite solid. And and uh, But to get the winner in that game, in open play, as well, you know, I just think it's not like a set-piece or anything. It's, you know, it's, it all adds to it. And... Uh, and yeah, just it adds to a special. And then we, I think we went to uh, MK Dons, who were in the league above at the time. And it shows you the size of the club of commentary is that they got trending on Twitter 10K to MK. And I think they managed to get about 8,500 fans to Milton yeah. Keynes, which again shows you their power that, you know, when they want to get behind the team. And, and uh, we won again and then went on to the fifth round and unfortunately lost at Brighton, which. You know, these are all the memories that you hold on to when you finish your career, and and uh, yeah, I've been very fortunate to have quite a few highs already. So you know, long may that continue. Yeah, and that campaign, of course, you know, winning promotion via the playoffs. Um, you know, taking it back to the beginning of that season, was that always the aim? Was that always the expectation? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think um, it it wasn't even one of those seasons that you know we weren't talking about like we were talking about promotion from the first day and it was sort of put on to us from the manager early on promotion was the aim like that that was the be all and end all and I think for a club of that size um, you know you've seen it with Portsmouth and things like that teams can go down the lower leagues and they struggle to get back up and um, and I think it was it was an important season um, and I think when you go through that as sort of that bond as a player, you know, you achieve something like that together because it is a lot of pressure. You know, fans are expecting their seeing their beloved Coventry, a Premier League championship team in League Two. You know, there is that pressure on you to get them back up. And I think, again, that was, I remember that season actually winning. So winning games last season with Wickham was, you'd be buzzing after the games. Well done, boys, you won. And I remember the season at Coventry when we got promoted, it was just relief. It like, Everyone in the changing room was like, right, okay, that's that one done, on to the next one. And it wasn't, you weren't truly buzzing until we managed to get promotion because you knew you'd done it and, and that yeah. was it. And uh, and yeah, like I think winning the league is obviously special, but to do it through the playoffs, it's, I mean, I'm talking from experience, but it's just something else, especially with fans there. Um, it's just, yeah, it was, it was an amazing, it topped off an amazing season, that's for sure. Yeah, you were named in Team of the Year that promotion winning season as well, Jack. I mean, not a bad person, not accolade either, is it? No, I know it's uh, it was. I was I was actually really sort of happy to get that um, to get named in Team of the Year because we'd had a, a good few players like Jack Stacey at um, 
who was at Luton Town at the time. Um, you know, I kind of had it in my head. It was between me and him. So to manage to pip him to that accolade was something that I was very proud of at the time. And, um, and you know, it's because it's recognition from your fellow players that you're playing yeah. against every week, which for me is the best. I mean, you can have a manager praise you to the hills, but if your own teammates don't think that you're doing the job, then that for me, that says more. And uh, so to get that kind of accolade from your own teammates is, is something that, and, you know, players across the league is something that I'm still very proud of for sure. Yeah, tell us about the playoffs then, Jack. I mean, earning your place at Wembley against Exeter, how did you prepare for the big day? Yeah, it was, uh, well, I still remember actually the semi-final. We, we went to Notts County and it was 1-1 from the first leg and we went to Notts County and the call fans, like the call fans filled out the entire stand and there were flares. And I remember walking out thinking like, are we still in England? Like it had that feel <laughs> of a foreign game, you know, with the flares and the flags and, <laughs> and, uh, and it was just, and so that built us on to, and then we kind of rode the wave from there. Um, just that feel good factor. And, and I remember going into the game, I, I was so confident of winning the game. And I know it's easy to say now that we actually did win the game, but I think I was so, I was just, I knew we'd win and I was just so confident we'd win. And I, I just thought to myself, you know, that, that belief was there. Um, and it, it's probably, I think, weirdly, it's, I think it's the most confident I've been of winning a game of football because I just believed that it was going to happen. I definitely wasn't as confident when we were playing <laughs> when we were playing for Wickham against Oxford. That that was different. But um, I think for, for Coventry, I think even we got to half time and it was nil-nil and a lot of the talk had been on how they had got into the playoff final the season before and lost to Blackpool. And, you know, if we scored, they would think, oh, no, not again. Like, you know, going through all the playoffs and then losing the game. And I think when Jordan Willis, who's our centre-half, he, he took a touch and whipped one into the far corner. I thought, yeah, this could be our day. Like, our centre-half <laughs> just whipped one in. And then, obviously, when you're right back, whips one into the left corner with his left foot you're thinking yeah this is our day and <laughs> and uh, the, I think the most surreal thing for me was when we were three and up I kind of you know it's not often you enjoy Wembley and, and enjoy the experience and it's three nil I kind of thought there was about 10-15 minutes left and I thought the game's done you know we were playing well and um, and I thought soak this in because not only are you at Wembley but you're winning and you're winning in a position that you can actually take it in and yeah. You know, like the Wickham Oxford game, right into the last minute, I was nervous and I was genuinely praying in my own head, just saying, please, 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 please. And, you know, it, it wasn't a nice feeling. Whereas the commentary one, you actually get to take in your surroundings and soak it in. And, and, um, and yeah, it was just, and I think it was interesting seeing the difference between having fans and not having fans because that day with the fans, it was just an, an unbelievable, um, it was actually on Sky Sports the other day, the, the game, and watching it back still gives you goosebumps. It's just, what a feeling. What a feeling. Yeah, and of course, as you said there, another big game, another big goal. You'd scored uh, in that final. In that split second, when you scored and you did give your team a bit of breathing space in that game, what was going through your mind? I think the best thing was is that, like, I was most happy that we scored the third goal because... We were playing, we were in the flow by that point and we were very much a team. I felt that during the season we had to be in the flow to do well. And I think that's why we lost to sort of the more rugged teams because we couldn't really get into our flow and free flow and stuff. And, and we were in the flow and I remember thinking, 
the third goal, nice. Like that's that's surely that is the game done. Like that, you know, I think if I'd scored the first, I think you know your mind's very much still on the game. Whereas the third, at the time of the game, at the time it was at, I thought, yeah, like this is it. And uh, and I think our gaffer said it afterwards. You know, when you're when your right back is stanch and one with his left foot, you know it. You know it's going to be your day. And um, and yeah, just a chance to sort of look around and. And I think it was just a daze. I mean, I remember afterwards, we on the bus back to the commentary. I just remember thinking, like, you've just scored at Wembley. It's like, <laughs> even being Scottish, I know, I know a lot of the English boys. Like, you know, Wembley's such a huge thing. But even for a Scot to score at Wembley is something that I'll, I'll be so, so forever grateful that I've done. And um, and yeah, it just like I said before, I've I've had a, a good few highs in my career, and and that is you know up there with individually that's you know up there with the highest definitely yeah and then going into that new campaign of course the new league um that season you were limited to to 13 appearances i believe um that following season yeah it talk us talk us through what happened yeah i think it was such a weird one for me um you know the manager had spoken to me in the summer and said that they were they were taking in um competition for places and things and you know I'd, I'd played sort of 53 games I think the season before and that for me that's when you get me at my best is when I'm just churning out every single game and he kind of had mentioned about bringing in some competition and they brought in Dujon Sterling from Chelsea um, it was a connection through our assistant manager and and I did I did kind of think at the time well there's competition and then there's a replacement like you know a Chelsea player coming in who yeah. by all accounts you know has to play and things like that to get games and and it was such a it just almost blindsided me completely because like you say there I was in team of the year doing really well scored in Wembley and I thought okay this is now my chance to really kick on and you know hopefully my career you know is on an upward trajectory and and um, it was the blindside that caught me off it just the fact that it caught me off guard was the hardest thing to take I think I didn't see it coming and, and like you said I was limited to 13 games and you know you'd go in and play then you'd be back out then you'd go play then you'd get injured and then it was just such a topsy-turnsy season and and uh, I think after the way that the season before had went I was gutted that the way it ended because you know I see my future at Coventry I thought yes it's great I can settle kick on and um, you know that's but that's football I mean and I always, I, I do laugh because, you know, Mark Robbins, I've, I've got a good relationship with him still, even though he didn't, you know, he, he hardly played me that season. Um, and I think it's justified. I mean, they went on the season after to get promotion alongside us and they won the league. And I think for any player, you know, you can't really argue with that. I mean, the manager's decision is justified because they go on to success. And uh, so as hard as it is to take personally, I think you just have to, get on with it and um you know try be the bigger person which isn't easy uh, you know because it, it did it did annoy me and because everyone wants to play it did you know it did annoy me but that that's football at the end of the day I think yeah in July 2019 you eventually signed for your current club Wicker Wanderers how did the move come about yeah it was it was uh, an interesting one again you know you're out of contract and you're speaking with clubs and I'd spoken to for the first time in my career I'd spoken to clubs back in Scotland and um you know because I'd always sort of preferred the English game prefer living down here you know prefer we've got a life down here my fiance and I and um and it was sort of a, a, an opportunity came up and it just didn't feel right it just didn't feel like I was done down in England and um 
I think I'd, I'd spoken to a few clubs and nothing kind of had clicked. And I think after the season that I just had, I wanted to enjoy football. I wanted to play games. I wanted to play for someone that believed in me. And and uh, it got to sort of July and teams are back in pre-season. And it, honestly, it's the worst feeling. You know teams are training again and you've not got a club yet and because you're holding out for something. And um, and I remember Gareth Ainsworth phoned me and they were just about to play a pre-season friendly at Barnet. And, uh, you know, he just kind of said that I hear you're at a club, but, you know, if you want to come train with us, I'd love to chat to you and stuff. And and he'd, he's always a manager. I thought I'd like to play for you. Like, I, you know, you look like you'd get the best out of me. And um, and that was kind of what I was waiting on, you know. And it, I always laugh. It, it wasn't by any means the sort of biggest club that were keen on me or the best financial package that were that was given to me. It was the club for me. I felt like I was at a moment in my career that I had to choose what felt right. And, um, and you know, I think that's, you know, partly why you're rewarded with such a special season because you went with your gut and, uh, and I went down and I met the boys and they were such a, it was immediately clear that they were such a different kind of group. Um, you know, things was done differently. And uh, for me, it's the way football clubs should be run. That It's not the case just now because, you know, it's a money's game, but, um, you know things and I uh, settled in very quickly which was good and I think you, you settle in quickly as well because you're winning games which makes it a lot easier to settle in when you're winning every Saturday and uh, yeah but but by God I had no idea what a season we were bound you know we were in for when I signed there but it was uh, yeah a, a great a phone call I'm thankful to the gaffer for making that's for sure because obviously Jack you mentioned about there being a unique group at Wickham um, we obviously spoke to Gareth quite a while back now and he mentioned, and Joe Jacobson, uh, and he mentioned that there is something in the Wickham change room called the Generals, that obviously yeah. The, yeah. The, the most experienced players within the Wickham group um, yeah, pr- basically lead that dressing room for, for Gareth. Tell us a little bit about the Generals and what, and what they do. Yeah, it's, uh, it is... It is. I think they went to, it's an interesting thing because I think they went to an army um, sort of, we have these things at Wickham called development days, which say on a Thursday, nobody will train and you'll just, you'll either have someone come in and talk or you'll go to like, they went to an army camp and they learned about teamwork and, you know, the sort of development of leadership. And the thing that stuck out to the gaffer and that was that they, every football club has a captain. And I think it is quite a lot, looking back now, it is quite a lot for one captain, one person to do, be the link between the staff and every player yeah. in the in the changing room. And um, so they basically took it upon themselves to have a captain, but generals underneath. And I think it's within those generals, they each are, you know, of they're, they're all the experienced heads, but they touch sort of every corner of the changing room. And I think that's, that really is the sort of powerful thing behind it is it's they're not all the same kind of background. They're not the same kind of person They're You know, they all have their individual stories and, and it is, it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, I think for the gaffer, it's a great thing because he doesn't necessarily, he can talk to his generals and get sort of the, the mood of the camp through them. And it's not just one person. It's not just one captain he's speaking to. And I think for a player's point of view, it encourages you to become more of a leader. I think, you know, like myself included, like you strive to become a general and you do things that, you know, develop that side of your game. And I think that's, for me, that's been the biggest thing since I've been at Wickham is that, 
yes, my footballs went well, but off the pitch, you know, your leadership skills, your communication skills, everything like that has gone up as well, which I think footballers don't work on. You know, they don't work on the mental side of the game. It's coming out now, you know, a lot about yeah, mental health yeah, and things, but it's, um, you know, back when I was at Port Vale, say no one discussed anything like that. And I think it shows you how far the games came in a quick sort of time. But it is, I think it's a, another sort of master stroke from the gaffer having that sort of um, legacy in there. Um, but again, that's when you give a manager time, yeah. he's allowed to incorporate things like that. I think it's very hard if a manager walks in the door, he needs to see who he can trust, who he gets on with. You know, I think that's the beauty of our gaffer having been given the length of time he's been given. He can really sort of create a culture that he's happy with. And and that's the biggest thing. I remember when we first walked in the door, all the new signings in the team, you know, we got a meeting about the Wickham culture and what it was like to be a Wanderer. And, and you know, by no means are they, you know, you don't have to be your Man City, your Liverpool, your Man United to have a culture. Wickham has one. And, for me, that was one of the things I bought into quickly, and it was, uh, and again, it's just something that makes the club special for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like like you said there, Jack, about the players opening up. There, in my opinion, they're more likely to go to one of their teammates if they're having a personal issue rather than a member of staff. And and do you think that's that's so important that that Wickham dressing room has? That, that group of players, those generals, that if players are having problems off the pitch personally, that they can go to their, their friends, really, and, and speak about them. Because in my opinion, men, mental health within football is such a, such a big thing and, and, and really should be spoken about so much more. Yeah, massively. I think, um, yeah, it's easy. I think I think that was the one of the difficult things of a captain is to relate to every player in the change room. Now, there's players that will relate to everyone differently and I think that's the beauty of the generals is that you have a group of players about five six players that I think put themselves in positions that if any other players have issues they feel that they can go talk to them and you know it's not just and the thing I've noticed most of the season as well it's not just about players going to them they actively go to players which yeah. for me is you know they've got enough going on in our lives but it's nice that they take an interest in other people and I think that's for sure that's one of the things that keeps the change room together um, I think it's been easier in previous seasons we've had a smaller squad and I think when you've got a smaller squad it's easier to keep everyone together um, you, know, you know you see some clubs with 25, 30 players and you think well only 11 are playing so how do you keep everyone on side and that's, and that's one of the jobs of the generals you know keeping everyone on the same page and it's uh, and it is, like you said there, it's, it's some mental health is something that's not spoken about enough. But it is, it's spoken about quite a lot of Wickham, uh, actually, which is uh, in things like development days and stuff. It's, it's uh, definitely something, I think, that gives us that extra edge, um, especially last season, for sure. Yeah, because obviously last season, it was halfway through COVID-19 come about um, with you guys in the playoffs. W was you... Was you worried at any point that all your efforts for you getting into those promotion spots were were going to end up completely being being tarnished? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was like for everyone. It was obviously such a surreal time. Like you know, you just had no idea what was going to happen. And yeah. um, 
I remember, I remember, and I'm not sure if it was because the gaffer knew that we'd have the player playoffs coming up, but I remember speaking to players from other clubs and they'd be like, oh, I'm not sure what we're doing. Like, I've not really heard from anyone at the club. And every week, every couple of weeks, our gaffer would like ring us individually and just have a chat, just make sure your family's okay, make sure everyone's okay. And, wow. and like for me, that was another sign again of his man management skills. And, you know, it wasn't just left to his staff to phone you or the captain to phone you he himself took it upon himself to make sure everyone was okay and everyone was dealing with it and everyone was safe. And, and, um, and yeah, it was, it was a horrible time, but it was, it sort of put football in perspective. I mean, the whole world's shutting down and you're like, what, what is going on? You know? And, and it, it did hit a point when obviously the whole thing with a big six or whatever it was in league one started to throw their weight around. You kind of get worried that your efforts are going to be, you know, for nothing. And um, and I think it, for, for us, it, I was even more buzzing at a season like last that we didn't sneak up in second place. We went to the playoffs and we still had to win three games of football to get up. Yeah. And, you know, you see a lot about the thing I was most gutted about as well is that, you know, we were, we'd been top two for such a long time for the majority of the season and then right at the last minute, you slip down to eighth. And you, you do then get nervous that we're going to be one of the teams here that miss out. You know, Tramier was another one that, unfortunately, the way it happened and the way it played out. And, um, and yeah, the, the, the fact that we were just buzzing that we got given the chance to then finish off our season, finish off what we'd started. And, and I think that's make, that makes just us all remember that we deserve to be where we are because, you know, we if they'd promoted the top three through points per game, then yeah, you, there might have been an argument, you know, saying that we managed to sneak in there. But the fact that we still had to win three games of football or two playoffs and then the final, um, you know, it really made you sort of almost that have that feeling that you deserve to be there. Um, and to experience another Wembley win was just, you know, an, a truly unbelievable season because I think I'd grown so close to the boys at the team that we were on the cusp of achieving something so monumental yeah. that to actually go through with it was just, yeah. Uh, there's literally no words to describe that feeling at the full time myself, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, of course. We spoke there about, obviously, it was an unbelievable season, an unbelievable group of players. And like we said there, the generals really guiding the team. But on the yeah. flip side, something that I've, I've got a mate who supports Wickham, Charlie, his name is, um, what he says is that, while there's the generals and the older sides to the group, there's also, you know, a real nice core of young talent. Um, you know, from your point of view, out of those players which have played for Wickham that are on the younger side more recently, you know, yeah. who, who do you tip to really make it at the top level? Yeah, I think it is. It's, and I think that's, that's, that's one of the things that we found hardest this season, as I think the generals played such a big part on and off the pitch last season. Now, I think we from what I get is that we are transitioning as a club and as a group of players that the generals are all of an age now and they're and the championship is an unbelievable standard but you know we can't rely on them as much as we did last season now that's something I think we've struggled with is that you know it's it's became on that sort of next level of players to step up to the mantle and take on that sort of role and um, but like you say it's important to not just have all experienced heads, you need the young talent coming through. And um, I think the introduction of our B team when we started this season was huge because I think, you know, 
the club admits itself that previous owners were very short-sighted and wanted to save money, so they cut the B team and the youth team. And um, and I think it's the, the most short-sighted thing you know you could have done is get rid of the youth talent coming up and through. And I think it was such an important thing this season that we got the B team. And you know, there's a couple of players, even Anis Mimeti, who we took from Norwich. Um, he scored in our win against Huddersfield, and for me, he's he's one that I would I would happily put my name to earmarking for the future because I think he's 2021, 20, um, and he's you know he brought something to Wickham that we didn't have. You know that creative sort of getting on the ball, getting making passes and things, and um, and it was it was quite it's quite interesting to see him take it all in his stride this season. Um, and he's he's hit the ground running, which is difficult for a young a young player to do. And you know he's always he's obviously been inconsistent, which you know is inevitable with any young player. But he's uh, for me he's definitely one that in training and things you can just see has that sort of natural knack for striking a ball, making passes and things. And and um, he's come up trumps for us a few times this season. And I think given a chance, he'd you know he'd really go on to establish himself as a, a good championship player for sure. Yeah, and of course, in order to get to the championship, you had to beat Oxford in the playoff final. Um, before we talk about the game, you know, how, how did you get out? He's, how, he said that's <laughs> gritted teeth, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah how, did you, how did you go about, you know, even preparing to play at Wembley again? Yeah, I think it was, um, it, it, it was a surreal, a really surreal thing because we'd obviously went months without playing football and coming back to the playoffs, I think I'd, I'd picked up an injury in November and I hadn't played since November and then um, coming back into the, the biggest game of your career was, you know, something I found very difficult, but relishing at the same time, because you knew that the boys had your back if something went wrong. And, and um, preparing for Wembley was, was so different because of, you know, COVID there's fans aren't there, you know, there's no one when you're walking on the bus, there's no one there. There's no atmosphere. It's just, and it was our first experience of playing the playoffs and then the final was our first experience of playing with no fans. Now we're used to it. But back then it was surreal. It was like a reserve game, 23s game, you know, just with no fans. And and I think only the, the fact that we were at Wembley reminded you of how big a game it was, you know, um, because there was just obviously no atmosphere and things. And and yeah, it was, I think the worst, the worst thing for me personally was that the game was at 7 seven o'clock or seven thirty at night mm. and we were in the hotel we were in the Hilton just across from Wembley um all day and that is for me that is the worst thing was you were sat there all day and you you know people are wishing you well and stuff but it doesn't help you know it just adds to the pressure and it adds to the sort of build-up of the game and and, you know, from my bedroom window, I could see Wembley and I just sat and looked at it and thought, like, I'll see you in, like, in a few hours. But those few hours passed so slowly. And uh, and you, you try your best not to think about, you know, how much winning the game will change your life or change your career um, because you don't want to add that pressure to yourself. But it's hard not to do it at the same time, obviously. And um, because every player wants to win, you just try and... For me, I just try and envision winning, what it would feel like, how we how we would do it, and um, 
literally the team talk before the match, I, another Gareth Ainsworth masterclass, he basically, at the end of the sort of tactical meeting, um, our captain, Matt Bloomfield, who's been at the club since, I think, 2003, he made his debut, I think. And um, so he's a, like Mr. Wickham. And uh, he was captain enough that out in the field that day. And the gaffer sort of switched off the lights and told us to just close our eyes and picture Bloom's lifting the trophy and what it would mean to him, what it would mean to his family, what wow. it would mean for us seeing him lift the trophy so nothing about us winning it was all about sort of blooms and lifting the trophy and what it would mean to him after all these years and like afterwards you, you just you think we have to win like for his sake more than ours like I was winning for him not for me and you know that if it was moments like that that we were all kind of connected in our in our belief that we would win for blooms and I think by that means, you know, you walk out and you think we have to win. We have to win. And I remember we we walked out of the tunnel and, you know, we did the lineup and the national anthem came on. And um, our gaffer honestly sang it at the top of his voice. <laughs> and that, that and obviously there's no fans, no fans at all. So you you can hear every word. Everyone can hear everything. And none of our players really sang and none of their players sang and their manager didn't sing. And our gaffer at the top of his voice, sang this national anthem. <laughs> I honestly thought to myself, like, okay, 1-0. Like, we've done, we've got, we've got an edge there. Somehow we've got an edge. And I think it's those little victories that add up over over the course of it. And, um, and, and yeah, it managed to get us over the line. Because, you know, Oxford were a great team last year. They really, really were a good team last year. And, and um, you know, if you were going on football teams alone, then you know Oxford would have won, but the game's not played like that, and I think that is just shows you the extra stuff that we brought to the game that that managed to get us over the line. I mean, yeah, in terms of intensity, I mean, where did that match rank in terms of all the games you've played? Because, of course, I remember there were times where you know it was it was all Oxford, and then and then Wickham would take their chance, and then they would go and win it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it was because they had a lot of they have a lot of attacking ability in that team, and. Um, <laughs> I remember the gaffer literally said to me, you know, you keep Marcus Brown quiet, you've done your job. And um, and luckily I managed to do that. And um, it's, it's things like that. He just simplified everything. But I remember in the first sort of five, 10 minutes, it must be the nerves. And you're like running around and you're knackered. And you're like this. And you, you have to sort of talk to yourself and think, well, you can't be knackered. It's only 10 minutes into the game. But it's like the adrenaline and the nerves and everything from the whole day is just weighing down on you and like you know every run feels difficult at times because there's you just don't want to be the one that lets in the goal or make the mistake or you know it's uh, it's quite interesting but I think when we got we got to I think was it 1-0 at half time and we just thought and it, that season we were great at holding on to leads like when we got 1-0 ahead we would lock up shop and that was it that was game over and in Oxford did have they had chances for for players of their ability you know they had serious chances and I just thought I just kept thinking this is our day like this is this is it this is going to be our day and there is a belief that things are meant to happen and um, you know because by no means were we the best team in that league but we managed to get up and and uh, yeah it's just it's such such special memories I think you know I feel very fortunate to have the the winner's medal on my on my shelf you know it's something that I'll forever look back on and uh, have great memories of for sure yeah Wickham now in the championship Jack 
yeah. Obviously, every, anyone looking from the outside, it, it can it can seem like um, that, that Wickham are are struggling. Um, to, yeah. To put it that way. Um, sum up the campaign from inside the camp so far. Yeah, I think it was. It's it's been tough. There's no other way to get around it. It's been tough. Like it's um, we took we killed ourselves right at the beginning. I think we lost the first seven games because we were adjusting to a new league. Everyone was learning, and we didn't learn quick enough. It took us seven games or eight games to get our foot in the door. It was uh, yeah. It's been such a such a like you said there we are we have struggled from the outside and we took such a long time to get going um and we it's such it's a league of such fine margins it's it's honestly just insane i mean i remember in the sixth game of the season we went to reading who were top and we how we didn't get something out of that game they they shot they scored with their only shot on target uh, they scored sorry with their only shot on target and Honestly, I felt like, you know, when is this going to turn? And you think, like, even after Saturday, you just, it gives you that bit of belief again. But it has. It's been a long season. It's been a hard season. But it's, it's definitely been a season that we've all learned so much from. And, you know, it's just, it is a pity that we haven't picked up more points. But that that is how cutthroat the league is. Um, you know, if you make mistakes, if you don't take your chances, then teams in this league will punish you because it's, you know, one of the most competitive leagues in the world. Um, and it is it's unfortunate that we've still got a lot to play for it's still it's funny because normally by you know February, March you're on this sort of downward slope and you don't have too many games left but there's still 18 games to play because we've had games called off with COVID and everything else so um, you know there is still a lot to play for and and by God if it's one team that can do the impossible I I firmly believe it's us and um, you know it's we've kind of put off talk of, of any league and, you know, it's just about the next game. And it is, it's up there with probably the most cliched saying in football, you know, I'm just focusing on the next game. But I think in this league, you know, only the top teams can look past the next game. Yeah. I think everyone is, because if you look past the next game, you'll get beat, you know, and it is, it's yeah. that cutthroat. And it's, it's been a learning curve for, for everyone. Even our manager says that, you know, it's the first time for him as well. And I think we're on a journey together. And the club has long-term plans that, you know, they've got in place. And, and uh, I'm just, I am feel fortunate that I'm able to be a part of that. And it, and it must be so gutting, Jack, that the, the, in, the, in the season that it's the biggest in the club's history that the fans can't be there. You have no idea. I think we played a game against Stoke midweek um, the back end of last year and I think it, you know it was during that period that clubs were allowed 2,000 or 4,000 fans yeah. or, and um, we had 2,000 fans in and they it was their first time to see us since the promotion and it was November and we came out to warm up um, I think they all had to be in at a certain time so they were all there when we came out to warm up and uh, they gave us a standing ovation and it was only 2,000 fans and everyone had shivers. Mm. And I think they were, for the first 10, 15 minutes, they were cheating every pass, every header, <laughs> every tackle. And you could just sense that it was like a gratefulness that they were even there. And, mm. you know, whether that was League One, League Two, Championship, they were just happy to be at football. And mm. and I think for, it was obviously a big moment for 
for fans being back, but it was even bigger for players. I mean, honestly, the it, it's just, going out every game with no fans is, is it was okay for the playoff games, and that was about it because there was so much riding on those games. Yeah. But now you know, it'll almost feel like a a dream that. And this is what makes us, you know, more determined to try and stay in this league because for the fans not to, for it to be the season that we're up and the fans not get to experience that is is must be so painful. And um, you know, I think everyone watching football on TV now is run its course. Everyone just wants to be there live yeah. and experience it. And uh, and you know, the sooner that happens, the better for sure. Because it, it can't, it generally can't go on like this. Because I think you realise now. You know, again, it's a cliche, but like football's nothing without fans. But by God, like you realise that when yeah. you're playing every game behind closed doors, it's just horrendous. It really is, and it's it's not you know it's not the game that we love. You know, it's it's, it's completely different. So, um, I think that's probably worked against us as not having fans. I think, you know, we were a team last season that even against your your Sunderland, your Pompeys, you know, the 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 big teams that. You could apply a certain pressure when they had fans. You could uh, you could apply an uneasiness, and the fans, yeah. you know, and that worked in our favour a lot. And I think that would have helped us this season, as you know, if teams weren't beating us at half time, you know, their fans get uneasy and things. Yeah. And I think that was well, that was one of the big things we've missed is the fans being on our side. And I'm sure they'd have managed to help help us suck the ball in the net more than one occasion if they'd been there. But unfortunately, you know, it doesn't work out like that. So we briefed you before you came on that uh, we were looking for the best 11 of players that you've played with during your career. Um, let's start in goal. Who have you gone for? Yeah, in goal, I went for Marcus Bettinelli. Uh, he was a player that I came through the youth with at Fulham, who's, you know, went on to get promoted with Fulham um, on, a, on a, a few occasions. You know, he's got some good memories, I'm sure, of getting promoted to the Premier League and and uh, now he's at Middlesbrough. It was funny playing against him early in the season um, for the first time. And uh, and yeah, he's for me, he's you know very vocal, kicks well, and uh, he's an all-round good guy, which which makes it easy decision to put him in there. Yeah. Before we move on to the outfield positions, what formation have you gone for? Uh, I've went for four-three-three. Oh. Um, oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I had a few people up front that I could have stuck in, but. Yeah, I'm quite happy with my team, and I think it would be, I think it would do all right. Yeah, I think it would do okay. I've I've went, I've mixed it up as well. I've not went because I think you know in my days at Fulham it would have been easy to pick sort of, but I've I've wanted to sort of put a blend of teams that I've played in and years and seasons that I've played in and things like that. So it's nice. So it's good. It goes through the ages, and and it's uh, yeah, it would do okay. Hopefully, I think yeah. Yeah, well, let's start right back now. Then who's who's your first outfield choice? I went for Jordan Willis. Uh, I played with him at Coventry and during our promotion campaign and he then went on to, he's now at Sunderland and um, for me he was always a player that, you know, he played a lot at Coventry and he developed really well and uh, for me I think he's always a player that he's just, you know, physically strong, quick, good on the ball and uh, so I'm not surprised when he got his move to Sunderland I wasn't really surprised at all because, you know, he is a player that I I do see playing at a higher level for sure in the future because he's still only He's still probably 25, 26, so he's got a good future for sure. Yeah, of course. And what was he like as a character and a leader in the changing room as well, especially? He was, he was, yeah, because he, he came through the youth at commentary. So he was, you know, very much a mainstay of the club in general. So it was good for for him, you know, getting promotion and experiencing that 
as you know a player coming through the youth. And obviously his goal at Wembley, his goal at Wembley, he scored. He scored the first when he touched it and stanched it, and uh, and you know that alone should probably get him in my team. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so he set us on the he set us on our way to winning that game, which um, you know really gave us the platform to to do well. So and I think I think he actually scored when I scored against Stoke. I think he actually scored the first goal, if I'm not mistaken. So we've got a you know good goal scoring records against good teams in big games so it's good yeah and then of course your two centre-backs how's your defence looking it's it's looking okay I went for Connor Goldson um, who's now currently at Rangers so I played with him at Shrewsbury during the promotion campaign he then got his move to Brighton um, and he was always for me I love playing you know alongside someone that you feel then comfortable disappearing and going and doing the attacking side of it and Connor was always someone that was very comfortable on the ball and it didn't surprise me one little bit that he managed to then get a move to Brighton um, because, and now he's been a main state Rangers, which, you know, has, um, which doesn't surprise me again, because he's, you know, a confident guy and a confident character. And um, it's good to see, yeah, it's good to see all these players, you know, going on and doing well and, or some, some were actually in the twilight of their career, but it was, um, but yeah, no, it, it, for him, it's a pretty solid start at centre half. And he's, he's backed up by Dan Byrne, um, the Brighton centre back now, who I so I signed at Fulham when I first signed at Fulham, he signed as well um, from Darlington, I think it was. And you know, for me, learning at a young age, sort of the professional levels you need um, to become a footballer, Dan is up there, you know, one of the most professional I've met. And it makes me even more happier now that he's been awarded with playing, you know, almost week in, week out in the Premier League now for Brighton because you know what he puts in and you know the hard work and the effort he puts into it. And and I think for me, the best thing about it is, is someone of, he's about six foot six or something like that. And he just doesn't really look like a footballer, but he <laughs> plays so well, you know, you know what I mean? And I think for me, it's just, it's great to see people like that make a great career in the game. And, um, and yes, yeah, so I think Connor Goldson and Dan Byrne is, is quite a good pair in the centre half. Yeah. But it's a, a breath of fresh air as well when, you know, you've got those two to rely on, you know. Throughout yeah, the, exactly. The I think, yeah, I don't think many strikers would, would beat them in the air, which, no. you know, I think and along the ground, they're both very comfortable on the ball um, because they both play in passing sides. So it's, yeah, I think you'd go, you'd, you'd do well to get a better centre-half pairing, I think, yeah. And then left-back? Left-back, he's been on this podcast before. I think I'm doing a, an injustice if I, I didn't include Joe Jacobson. I think... Okay. Uh, you know, his his set pieces, his left foot alone, I think, was one of the biggest reasons that we got promoted last season. Um, I'm real. You know, I played for him, obviously, at Wickham. And yeah. his penalties, his corners, he, he scores corners. You know, he's the only player I've played with that could, if he steps up to a corner, you think he could score. And um, his corners, his free kicks were huge to the way we played last season and, the you know, us getting up. And um, I think even... The numbers that he turns out, uh, you know, for goals and assists are right up there. So for me, he's uh, he's an easy choice, I think, at left back for definite. I mean, in terms of goal scoring defenders, I mean, was there ever a time where you were at a corner and you were saying, stand back, boys, don't worry, we've got Joe at the corner, he can just ping it straight yeah. top bins? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't even need to go up and try head this in because Joe just shoots <laughs> and normally, normally tends to score as well. Like, 
And I think I remember the Lincoln game last year. I don't know if you remember. He scored yeah. two corners and one free yeah, kick. Yeah, like a hat yeah. set pieces. <laughs> and I think you know someone. I think he's thirty four as well, and he's he genuinely slowing, showing no signs of slowing down. You want to hope think, you've got that right, Jack. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't want to do him an injustice there. <laughs> I don't want to do him an injustice there, but he's. Uh, but yeah, no, he's 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 genuinely. He he shows me sort of you know there used to be this thing about players over thirty oh, they're getting old and that and Wickham in general I think show you that that is by far not the case, um and you know if you do the right things and look after your body you can play as you know long as you want so but yeah I think for me he was an easy choice at left back because you know he's consistent he's very very consistent as well week in week out and I think that's why the gaffer you know has relied on him for for so long I think it's six years maybe he's been at the club or five years so. For me, yeah, the consistency as well, which in your defence is what you want. And then moving on to midfield, who, who is your first pick of your three midfielders? My first pick in midfield is Ryan Woods, who I also played with uh, at Shrewsbury during the promotion season uh, alongside Connor Goldson. And um, he went on to, I think, sign at Brentford and, and Stoke and now he's at Millwall. Who I'll be putting him on Saturday, I think, or next, <laughs> yeah, on Saturday. And uh, He's, we played against him early in the season and he plays at the base of the diamond and he is so integral to a team keeping the ball. Uh, but he, the thing I love most about him is that he keeps the ball, he keeps it ticking, but he is never shy of a tackle. Like he throws himself into tackles. And, you know, I think to get both sides of the game is quite difficult at times. So for me, he's, you know, that sort of bite in that midfield. And, um, but, you know, would keep things flowing and he's, Again, when I played with him at Shrewsbury, he got, I think he got in Team of the Year along with Connor Goldson that season. And he is a player that I'm not surprised, again, has went on to have a, a regular championship season and, and has done very well for himself. And then moving on, what are your next pick for uh, for midfielder? My next one, my next one's a big one. It's probably it's the biggest player. I remember feeling almost surreal when I was playing in my Fulham side uh, alongside him. And he was our captain at the time was Scott Parker. And... Yeah. I remember when he, because I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go that you know a lot of from the same team and but Scott Parker is the name you cannot leave out if you played with him and uh, <laughs> I remember off the pitch more than anything seeing the work every day every day in the gym every day in the physio every day eating and and you know he epitomises sort of I've been fortunate enough to play with a lot of professional players you know do the right things week week out and um. I think have the career he had unless you're like that and yeah. you know for me it showed you it showed me early on the levels you have to hit daily to be at that to be at that level consistently you know and um and I feel yeah I feel very fortunate and I feel very lucky actually that I'm, I'm in a position to play with them and uh, just to witness it firsthand that sort of um that sort of professionalism and the ability as well and uh and it's weird now, you know, he's now managing Fulham and doing very well, you know, which you love to see because you, it's nice to see players you've played with and go on to, if, if managers, what they want to do, it's great to see them getting success. Yeah, as a side note, um, out of all your teammates at Wickham at the moment, of course, Gareth Ainsworth used to be a former player for Wickham, you know, Parker, like you said, former player for, for Fulham. Out of the current crop of Wickham players, who would you say is most likely to go on to become a manager? Yeah, it's a good question. And, um, you know, I think that is a good question. I would think Matt Bloomfield is, who's our captain, is already doing things in coaching and things like that. Yeah. Um, but 
I think Dominic Gate is our he's our midfielder number four, and he's about how old must Gapey be? Must be about twenty five, twenty six, and he immediately is during games. We'll talk about tactics, talk about moving players over, moving doing things, and he really gets the tactical side of the game because he's he's a switched on guy anyway, and yeah. um, and for me it's he really takes almost an interest in that side of things. I mean, a lot. I know a lot of players that just sort of turn up and they'll do their job and they'll go home, whereas he looks at the tactical side of things. And um, so for me, he's, you know, he is one that could, if he wanted to, I think he's one that could go on and do coaching and, and go into management for sure. Is, is management the sort of thing you'd like to do when, when you finally, you know, hang up your boots? I think, I, w- I honestly see the stress and the... <laughs> the relentlessness that managers have to go through and it genuinely is 24 hours a day seven days a week and I think for me I think when I finally come to close the the book on I'll turn the page on my career you know I think I would more likely unless you're at a club that you know it fits in well with doing a coaching thing and, and going in nice and easily but I think I'd happily close the book on um, sort of change the chapter on on my life, and you know, the football the football chapter would be you know I feel very fortunate I've even been given that chance in the first place to have a chapter of football in my life, and um, but I think moving on I think you know I'd you sacrifice a lot of time as a footballer you know for family and Christmases birthdays weddings funerals everything else everything else and I would you know I think like to get some of that time back I think would be my main reason um, you know when I've got kids and things like that, I think I'd prioritise them. And, and um, but yeah, I think the majority, the main reason, sorry, is, is that you see it's so relentless being a manager and I just don't envy them one bit. It's, and that's why I feel, I feel happy for them when they do get success because you know what goes into it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think it's not for everyone. And I'd, yeah, I'd be surprised if it was for me after the game finishes, that's for sure. Yeah, and now moving on to your last midfield pick. I've gone for Michael Doyle, um, who was our captain at Coventry um, during the the promotion campaign. He was the definition of a club legend. Um, he'd came back from he'd he'd been at Portsmouth the season before, where they where they'd won the league in League Two, and he dropped back down to do this, try to do the same with Coventry. And uh, he is there's no one else like him in in football. I am for damn certain. He, you know, he's a captain that leads by example. He's tenacious. He definitely isn't shy to tell someone when he thinks that they're not putting in the work or putting in the effort. And, you know, he, without even saying anything, he's one player that I think his presence is enough to make people raise standards. And I think we'd had quite a youngish squad at Coventry at the time. Only, I think, Liam Kelly was in their 20s, uh, their late 20s, sorry. And um, and Doyler kind of was the enforcer of a young squad, and and it it showed me the the impact that a captain can have, um, you know, leading us through that season, and uh, and yeah, for me, I think he's he's played something ridiculous, like six hundred six fifty games. I'm not sure what the exact number is, and and I think to achieve that during your career. An unbelievable achievement, and uh, again, he's he's someone like a, like a lot of these players. I'm, I feel fortunate to have shared a pitch with. Yeah, now moving on to your front three. Um, let's begin with the wingers. What what two wingers have you chosen? I've went for uh, Ross McCormack, 
is one of them. And he was a player I played with at Fulham that we signed for, we signed from Leeds. And in his, I mean, his career, unfortunately, you know, after when he signed for Aston Villa and things, he didn't quite hit the highs that he'd hit at Leeds and Fulham. But for me, he was a glimpse into the next level. Um, I think if Fulham were going to shoot their way out of the championship, he was going to be the guy that was going to do it. Um, you know, I think you just need to look at his record and he hasn't played for probably approaching four or five years now regularly, regularly, and he's still up there in the goal scoring charts. And for me, that shows you, you know, I think he's up there with Graben, Lewis Graben and Jordan Rhodes and things like that, players that are still playing. And, and I think it shows you just how many goals he got. And he was such a clean striker of the ball, such a quick, you know, didn't cover a lot of ground in a game, but when he got on the ball, he was quick, he was sharp, he was, you know, connected well with the ball, would try different things. And, you know, I think he really settled at Fulham quite quickly and, and hit the ground running. And, um, you know, it's just unfortunate that obviously then it didn't work out for him at Aston Villa. But for me, he's, again, the Scottish connection is nice to have in the team. And uh, he's, yeah, he was a great player on his day, for sure. I think he's probably the definition of a football league legend, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you only really appreciate when you like you see him at Leeds and things. And it's, you know, it's just, it's a shame that it, it ended almost the way it has for him. But he, like you say there, he's a football league legend. He's, he's done it in the most competitive league. For me, one of the most competitive leagues in the world. And he, you know, showed his quality time and time again, scoring season after season for quite a while. And, uh, and yeah, so that's, for me, that's, that was an easy choice, sticking him in there. Yeah, and then your other winger choice? Uh, I went for Mark McNulty, who... So we're playing, we'll play quite an inverted three. Yeah. three yeah. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it was for me, like, again, I played with him at Coventry during our promotion season. And he, it was quite interesting for me to see him early on. He was under obviously a lot of pressure being our marquee signing to get goals and fire us out of League Two. And I think he got a lot of stick through August, September, October because he'd missed chances. He hadn't really hit the ground running. And then, it hit October and he just started scoring and then never stopped the rest of the season. And I think it was interesting to me seeing him sort of turn it around. You know, mentally that is very difficult to do. He, You know, the commentary fans were quick to dismiss him and be like, right, in January, we need to go get him. We need to go get him. Yeah. And Sparky very quickly stepped up to the mantle and he worked out a good partnership with Michael Doyle as well. And, um, you know, fed and passes from midfield and uh, Doyler would find his runs quite fluently and it was interesting to see him up for, I'd heard a bit about him and you know he's just he makes intelligent runs like and I think if you put him in the right if you put him in the right team he will score goals regardless of what team you know regardless of what level sorry if he's in the right team that plays to his strengths and um, and you know he's, he's back up at, in Scotland just now and even when he moved to Hibs he, he was scoring goals because he had a manager that wanted to play his way and I think that's what happened we at Coventry that season we played almost at times for him and got him got the best out of him and he was in free flow and again it was it was an easy choice because he's such a good guy as well you know it's um he's such a nice guy and that's again it makes it great to see when the good guys do well it, it makes it all the more better for sure yeah and then your last forwards pick who have you gone for it was between it was between two for me because I'd played with 
and I know one of them has had a very different career path to the other. Um, so I'd played with Moussa Dembele when we were at Fulham days, and then obviously he went on to Celtic and Leon, and has had an incredible career. Yeah. Um, but I went for Coley Woodrow because we yeah. we played together more, and you know I get on really well with Coley as well. And for me, it was always it was them two in our youth team. I mean, what a youth team it must have been, you know, having <laughs> Moussa Dembele and Coley Woodrow. And, and although, like I said, Dembele's went on to you know now he's on loan at Atletico Madrid, and he's had he's had an unbelievable career. Um, for me, Woodrow was both sides of the game at an early age. He knew how to do. I think that's why he's established himself and as a good championship striker um and he's he's such a good guy as well you know he's a great guy he's, he works hard and he scores goals and um and yeah i think we played against him earlier in the season and honestly it was a nightmare he was a hard hard striker to play against um you know his work ethic and everything else so for me and from a young age he was such a talented finisher i remember i remember thinking you know it was one of those days that almost if because I remember when Musa was French, he was kind of on the, the pedestal and Coley was maybe English. It didn't work out like that. And for me, Coley was such a natural finisher. You get the, like all my strikers in that team are natural finishers. And um, so for me, it, it was it, it ended up being quite an easy decision because he's such a good guy and, and you would have him in the, in the trenches with you, you know, any day of the week. I'd, I'd love to, to play with him again. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, that's the, my eleven, which I'm I'm quite chuffed with to be honest. I'm quite happy. I've tried to level it out and you know, Not from different eras and different different teams and you know, different seasons and stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I feel quite fortunate to have played with every one of those players. So definitely. Yeah, it's a great team. You've been a fantastic guest, Jack. Thank you for, for spending your evening talking to us. Nah, no worries, guys. Thank you for having me, man. I've uh, I've loved it. So thank you for that, boys. Yeah, thank you, of course, everybody. You've been listening to Inside the Change Room, our, our landmark 25th podcast. It's, it's been great talking to Jack about his career. And uh, don't forget to like, subscribe to all of our channels across YouTube and social media. You've been listening to Inside the Change Room.